0: You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment Production. This
1: episode... We're hiding in the shadows in Fab Facts. It's all kicking off on the moon in the randomizer. This is the voice of Carnar Flanagan. He sounds nothing like that, but it's all coming up in pod 228. That was close enough.
2: Of the Jerry Anderson podcast! He's
1: from Belfast.
0: Let's get started. Let's go.
3: Spectrum is green.
0: The Gerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James.
1: Well hello there Well hello uh-uh. You've been a very busy <laughs> bunny Richard James, haven't you? I have,
2: that's why I'm sitting in the cupboard in my garage at mm. about uh, quarter to nine on a Friday night Yes, this Isn't is a,
1: it? it's a very late night recording because uh, yeah, right. well, it's mostly Richard's fault because he's, he's doing a show Do you want to do a plug yeah. for your show?
2: Oh okay, yeah, I've been rehearsing all week for a Sherlock Carol which is a cross, would you believe, between Sherlock Holmes and A Christmas Carol? Mm, I can not ah, I mean, believe how that. How Christmassy can you get? Yeah. So if you fancy coming to see it at the Marleybone Theatre in London between the 18th of November and the 7th of January,
1: get online, book your tickets. Should be fun. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and while they're doing that, you can book tickets for my <laughs> one man show, oh, yeah. uh, which is never taking place ever. Oh, uh, no, it's don't that worry. sponsored by Brill Cream. <laughs> oh no, be with it. No, sorry. <laughs> Oh. God,
2: I didn't realise how
1: how, um, how sharp you could be on a yeah, Friday night. I've been,
2: I've been saving it up all week, you see. Yes. Trouble.
1: Anyway, mm. I'm the totally A-her-suit uh, Jamie Anderson.
2: Well, <laughs> that must make me the A-bald.
1: But <laughs> no, well, anyway, I'm Richard James. <laughs> and he's got a full I mean, head of on. hair. Yeah, that's uh, right. Abled. Uh, and later on, we'll be joined by Chris Dale, uh, mm. also known as the Randomizer, and he'll be doing The Randomizer, yes, picking a random episode of a random Jerry Anderson show and watching yep. it yep. for your listening pleasure. It's a strange yes. thing, that not it? Watching it for somebody's listening pleasure. But I suppose that that's. That's right. That's actually quite hey. a good summary. We should have said that before mm. in the last 227 pods, possibly. Well,
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we know it works because people love it.
1: Uh, they do well they love that and they also love all the things between this moment now and that moment then would you right. like to list those things yes, uh, in okay. the sandwich filling of this podcast okay
2: but I'm going to list them in uh, ascending order of what people, I think, love most as oh, the podcast. so this is okay? completely
1: subjective. You've done no yes. research no, here. There's no focus not. group no. or anything. No,
2: no, no. So in ascending mm. order, mm. Fab Facts is coming up in just a moment. <laughs> it's so
1: strange you'd pick that first. <laughs> <laughs> You're already putting the ass in ascending, uh, aren't you? Uh,
2: then tying for next place, I think it would be uh, news, 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 news for the Jerry Anderson Universe. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first part, I believe, of your interview, Jamie, with Conor Flanagan. It is yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. I'm trying not to be rude here. You see. Ew, too late. Uh, <laughs> Failing miserably. Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, uh, but of course, top of the heap. Every week are the wonderful emails, Facebook postings, and Twitterings of our lovely Podsterons. That's you at home, our wonderful listeners, who've been emailing us at Gerry Anderson. No, Podcast at Gerry oh, Anderson. Every time. I'm sorry.com. It is late. They've been hashtagging us, hashtag Gerry Anderson on Twitter, <laughs> and commenting on our Facebook group, uh, Facebook.com, forward slash groups, forward slash Podsterons. <laughs>
1: well done. I mean, other than the fact that you were incredibly rude and dismissive to yeah. uh, pretty much everybody on the podcast.
2: Yeah,
1: um, Yeah. great Didn't job. Didn't really think that through, did I? No. Anyway, I'm very much looking forward to seeing your show and uh, and giving yeah. an honest review of that. Uh-oh. So before we uh, get on to anything ruder, shall we do the least favourite bit of the show for everyone, oh. <laughs> according to you anyway? I mean, that'll be a pleasure, won't it? <laughs> Well, it's certainly well for me because it's this week's fab facts.
0: Here it comes. Now, time for this week's fab facts.
1: Yes, it's the uh, the bottom feeder in terms of uh <laughs> what?
2: Oh, I see. In terms yeah. of parts no, of the go on.
1: The, the podcast, it's the, you know... No, the, no, no,
2: no, I was being it's the dregs,
1: it's the... No, no, come it's on. It's the scum that sort of sits at the bottom oh, and... It really uh, isn't. And I know everybody wishes it wasn't there, but it's just part of the furniture now. It's Fab Facts because I've got a book of Fab Facts. Here it is. There was yeah. a little flip and slap. Uh, yeah. and I'm going to flick through the pages for you very shortly. Rich is going to shout Fab. It'll stop me flicking at a random page and the page that I happen upon will hopefully contain a Fab Fact which I will do my best to deliver to you. In an yeah. interesting-ish fashion. How does that yeah, sound? You say hopefully. Yeah. And I said ish as well. I've really put a lot of yeah. caveats here. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's get on with this. Here is okay. the flick. Tab! Ooh. Mm? Oh, well, there's a familiar face. Oh? Who's a, bes- a bespectacled Anderson favourite. Yeah. You'll find out more Ooh. very shortly. Now, Richard, oh. who would you say was the greatest villain in the Anderson universe? Don't say me. Hmm. But
2: apart from you, the greatest villain,
1: well, it has to be the Hood, surely. It's it's an interesting choice, perhaps, yes. Um, I mean, there's there's plenty you could choose from. Of course. You said the greatest, though, so I just gave you one. Well, I mean, there is a certain well-known guest alien character in Space Precinct, uh, perhaps, who was pretty villainous.
2: Oh, yes. Of course, it's Halloween coming up as well. it be time for me to post my Kamada memes on Twitter, won't it?
1: Of course, Enil, Enil, yes. Enil Kamada, played by yes, so the on. one and only Richard N. James in Space Precinct. On. But one of the most popular of all Anderson villains is, without a doubt, actually, Captain Black. Oh, sure. And of course, yeah. we've got two versions to choose from. We've got the classic uh, from 1967, or we've got the 2005 one. Both are great. But for this fab fact, we're looking at the super marionation Captain Black from the original Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons series of '67. So, yep. Did you, Richard James, know that Christine Glanville, our bespectacled Anderson favourite, once oh, right. claimed in an interview that Captain Black was originally supposed to have been killed off at the end of the show's first episode, as in permanently killed off, never to Ooh. appear. Finito. Yes. All over. Dumb. Ter- wow. Terminate. Um, yes, yes, we get it, we get it. Yeah. All that, so he would never appear again. Now, according to Christine, it was only after she'd made the puppet up to look gaunt and pallid that Dad decided to keep him as a regular baddie. Oh, mm.
0: okay. Now, we
1: right. should stress again that these are Christine's words only. We do not have any other definitive proof from other parties that this was ever actually mm-hmm. on the cards. Mm-hmm. The version of the pilot script that we have seen, uh, which is the one that we've discussed before... The idea uh, of Scarlet being a mechanical man, do you remember? Some time ago? Yes, that's right. It doesn't actually feature Black dying or anything too different from the eventual first episode of the series. However, if you look at the finished first episode and keep Christine's claim in mind, it doesn't take much imagination to suppose that maybe Captain Black was originally meant to be aboard the Spectrum helicopter that was hijacked by the Mysterons and then destroyed after colliding with the London Carview uh, Tower, is it, hey, really? I mean, okay. it sure. sort yeah, of makes yeah, sense that that have... could be a yeah a thing. One thing, however, that maybe does support Christine's claim is that in episodes two and three of Captain Scarlet, that being Winged Assassin and Big Ben Strikes Again, Captain Black only makes brief, silent cameo appearances. Right. So that's right. interesting, They're isn't it? Favorite. In each story, yes, yeah, there's best best paid as well. Um, yeah, no lines to learn. In yeah. each story, he's shown watching a vehicle that Mr. Ons are about to take over, but he doesn't get directly involved with that takeover himself, almost as if these cameos were quick <laughs> insert shots filmed for episodes yeah. that were never, never originally meant mm. to feature him. Interesting. So just yeah. put there to okay. remind viewers that he's still part of the series. It's not yeah. until episode four, that's Manhunt, that Spectrum first become aware that Black is up to no good on Earth. And from then on, he's more involved with the action, usually murdering people, of course, uh, in order for them to be res- resurrected as uh, Mistron agents. I should say recreated rather than resurrected. Sure. Just before somebody writes in and complains. Um, yes. However, in several of the episodes in which he does appear, all he actually does is show up and tell another on agent, You know what you must do, and then Uh he disappears. Uh That was all right, wasn't it? That was quite a good Captain Black. Good, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Again, this perhaps points to the possibility that maybe the show's format wasn't initially devised with the idea of keeping Captain Black around. If that was the case, then obviously the decision to retain him must have occurred quite early in production. But regardless of what exactly happened and when regarding Black's role, it's still quite interesting to consider how different the show might have been without that star villain. Absolutely. So you'd still have the Misturons as the show's main villains, but obviously non-corporeal. But obviously Captain Black adds a more personal and physical touch of horror to the show than just having a a non-corporeal alien uh, race. Yes. You've also got various spin-off media, such as TV21, which positioned Captain Black more as Scarlet's arch-enemy in a way that the TV series didn't quite go for. Ooh, there's a Captain Black fan in the background there, barking about (laughs) this. Um, But that had a huge impact on how the character was later presented in the CGI show. So, Posterons, what are your thoughts? Could you imagine Captain Scarlet without Captain Black and... Perhaps most importantly of all, do you have any more evidence to support Christine's claim that he might not have been intended to be a regular character? If you do, drop us a line. Or even if you don't, drop us a line. That's fine. Uh, Podcast at jerryanderson.com. If you can see anything else about the way the the titles are put together or the voicing. I mean, here's here's Uh a thought. So, deceased Captain Black, voiced by Donald Gray, who played Colonel White. Isn't it a bit weird to have... The, you know, the main, the leader of the goodies and the lead baddie character played by the same voice voice artist Ooh. who had such a distinctive voice. Do you yeah, think that could have been a maybe. late signing? Is that a bit of potential evidence I've just found from the depths of my mind? It could be, couldn't it? I think so. Mm. I'm giving myself a very small uh, Super Marination pat on the back for that.
2: <clears throat> uh, it's interesting. It's a, it's a slight lapse if you don't mind me saying of judgment it's bleedingly obvious that captain black should be the main villain surely from his well, very now from
1: from watching I it so. i suppose so
2: i <laughs> suppose actually what what would what, what would be quite interesting wouldn't it maybe you'd approach it like this if you were doing it these days and had multiple series mm. at the beginning of every new series you wouldn't know who the next captain
1: black was as it were no and well that fits very much so with have dad's a guest, dad's a idea do you remember yeah. he wanted to basically have the have a, a really sort of high-profile main character and then yes. kill him off halfway this, off. through the series so that you really, that's you it. never know who's going to survive. Uh, so yeah. we maybe, maybe that would have been a great thing. But there you go. Interesting. post yeah. let us know what you think. Is it possible that Scarlet was meant to never have Captain Black as a recurring character? We'd love to know your thoughts. Drop us an email or uh, tweet us and all the usual things. But I suppose that probably brings us quite neatly to the end of this week's Captain Black. Black Fact. Fact. You could have just uh, had Black Fact. Why well, did you have I to have Captain so. Black? Fact? Well,
2: I, I wanted to be specific about it. That's why. Oh, well,
1: I'll you have to really drilled down. You should have had his, okay. his full name in that case. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't. don't <laughs> I don't didn't have time that. to fill it, cram it all in. Now, listen, Jamie. <laughs> the good thing is, <laughs> yes. That, now that we've got fab facts out of the way, yes, things can only get <laughs> better. Gets, exactly. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yes. No, no, no. 1997. Of you. <laughs> now, talking about things only getting better, let's dive into our email bag because I mean, it still astounds me. What is this pod two two eight? I mean, it feels like
1: pod one two two eight, I think today. I, okay. But yes, well,
2: well, well let's <laughs> let's let's imagine that on average we get maybe half a dozen. We actually get many more, but let's say half a dozen emails that I read out mm. every episode, yeah. every podcast. Yeah. So what's Let's say what's six times two hundred twenty eight. Um, about fifteen hundred, is it something like that? There you go. That's fifteen hundred emails, and they're just the ones I've read out since we started.
1: Goodness me, I'm, I'm just going to check the yeah. uh, the maths on that because that, that okay, was yeah. very quick late yeah, night yeah. maths. But mm-hmm. one thousand three hundred and sixty-eight. One thousand three hundred and sixty-eight. That's and
2: they're still at it. For example, Quiller uh, got in touch to say hi, Jamie hey, and Richard. Hey I got a week behind on my podcasts due to holes, so wow. I've only just heard pod 224. Oh. Ah, yes. Now, this was when we were discussing what might be the best scene ever from any episode of any Anderson series. Yes. Uh, she suggests the best scene ever has to be the landing of the fireflash in the Thunderbirds mm. pilot episode, Trapped in the Sky. This is a good the choice. The climax brings together a great script, tense acting, Amazing special effects from Derek Medding's crew, dramatic editing and tense music from Barry Gray to give us not just the best scene from any Jerry Anderson series, but from any TV series of the time oof, or
1: since. Oof, that is a bold, bold Isn't claim, it? Pen. Isn't it? But I bet you'd stand by it. Oh, well, she's welcome to stand by it. I think it's a great claim. I think it, it's, I'd think i certainly put it, oh, I don't know, hmm? top, top 20 or 30... Yeah, Another disagreeing Hello. dog there. Top top 20 or 30 yeah. TV moments TV moment. of the last 60 years.
2: Yeah, of course
1: you were. I think that's a fair thing to say.
2: Chris Bird got in touch. Remember fairly recently, a few weeks ago, we were talking about Supercar on Ice. Do you remember mm.
1: that? Uh, yes, we were. I remember uh, very vividly, in fact
2: some venue or other do you remember where it was
1: i yeah yes some venue or other, although i don't remember it that vividly that i remember the venue w- wembley somewhere no i
2: don't know <laughs> it may have been but chris bird says hi guys yes i was there yeah. my story was that i entered a coloring competition in my regular comic i can't remember which but the picture was a supercar and i colored it in but with a purple sky you see i was and always have been colorblind but my parents said send it in anyway yeah. sure enough I won tickets to see the show, yes, at Wembley, featuring Supercar, and I remember it well. They invited a couple of children from the front row to ride in Supercar for a lap of the ice. Unfortunately, I was not one of the lucky Uh. ones. He says there's still a chance I have a copy of the show programme in my collection, but they're all in boxes in my loft, so I'm not sure when I can check that out. If I do find it, I'll let you know, of course. Yes, please, Chris, that would be great. Oh, please Um, do. He says, for an 11-year-old me, it was very exciting to see the real supercar, and that is virtually the only thing I remember from the entire show. <laughs> Other shows suitable for an ice version, says Chris. Well, for me, it has to be Stingray. The Wembley Panto on ice often featured underwater scenes in UV light, Stingray would be perfect. I loved all the Anderson shows and I still do. And even in my youth, I tried exploding some of my Airfix models on camera in my back garden. <laughs>
1: it must have been incredible times making the shows. Best wishes from Chris Bird. Isn't that a lovely story? That is lovely. Thanks, Chris. And amazing Thank that we you, can yeah. track down people who were there through the Blooming Absolutely.
2: podcast. Brilliant. That's right. Yeah. Do let us know if you've ever blown up anything in your garden as well <laughs> and, and what your parents' reaction was to that. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Pre- preferably uh, something Anderson
2: related. Yeah, Matic Escovari got in touch to say, hello guys, I don't know if this has been asked before, but it just came to my mind after Jamie mentioned Wallace and Gromit in the latest pod. Mm. Since there have been lots of Thunderbirds-influenced moments in that series, would it be possible to get the creator himself, Nick Park, on the podcast?
1: Uh, We have sent a couple of requests to Nick Park's office and have yet to receive a reply, positive or negative. Yeah, so uh, we'll keep uh, punting away there, but I think yeah. Um, yeah, Nick Park, Dave Sproxton, anyone on the Ardman side will be um, will be fascinating to have yeah. a chat to.
2: Uh, he also says, also Richard, I propose a challenge for you. I don't think you've attempted to do this yet, so here we go. When you do the that was the news bit, try to do it with the words in reverse order. Oh, <clears throat> right. Okay, okay, I'll give it a shot. Uh, FAB from Finland, and that's from Matty. Uh, we've also heard from Chris Turner. Dear Jamie, Richard and Chris, I've just been listening to Jamie's interview with Chris Bentley in Pod 226, where the subject of the Secret Service came up. Jamie put forward his theory, which I think he's mentioned before, that he thinks that Jerry had a sort of subconscious, self-destructive mm. approach to the show, and that the move to the hybrid of puppets mixed with live action was an attempt to edge the puppets out. Mm. And there was also the feeling that by this stage, Jerry was pretty fed up with the puppets and desperately. desperately wanted to move on. Well, says Chris, hear me out on this, but I'd like to suggest that the Secret Service was actually an essential transition from puppets to live action, a toe in the water, so to speak. In the Secret Service, Jerry and the team showed that they could move on from the very caricatured style of puppets in Fireball, Stingray, and even Thunderbirds, to produce not only more realistic and correctly proportioned figures, but they now reached the stage where they could make a puppet that was so realistic it could be intercut with a real actor. It's almost as if they were saying, look, we've pushed super as far as it can go. We can't take it any further. So the next natural step for the team was to produce a fully live action show with real actors. Thanks for all you're doing. Keep up the good work, and that's from Chris Turner. That's interesting. Well, Chris, isn't it? I mean, I Another, would, I would yeah. say
1: we don't even have to agree to disagree. There, I think we I think sure. I'm going to, going to disagree to disagree. Okay. Um, because I I think those are two sides of the same coin in many ways, aren't they?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. It. I agree. A great stepping stone and uh, showing we can do this, and I want to do this with live action. But there, I I just I just feel quite strongly that there must have been a sense of this isn't following the formula of what we've done that's been so successful and yeah. then this is it's be it was beyond risky to it was true. you know d- so many elements of that show the the lead character writing something specifically for stanley Unwin, losing so much of the tech losing so much of the action sequences than the the model stuff which has become so popular losing the merchandising side all those things must have must mm. have somehow felt to him ooh. Should we be doing these? I don't know. Anyway, well, I mean, we'll yeah. never know for sure. Even if he was still around, no. we wouldn't have got an answer to that. He, he would have said, "Oh, I, I don't." I, don't I mean, think it, that's it, that's true, but yeah, I
2: don't know. yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't it was a Jerry Anderson show quite unlike any other Jerry Anderson show that had come before it, and there must have been a reason.
1: For or that. since but, really, I mean, the, yeah. The, the, yeah, the biggest outlier along the same lines is Dick Spanner, and that was a real yeah. kind of, yeah. you know, yeah. for the hell of it show in, in many ways, yeah. particularly given the budget and the you know what it was yeah. made made for. Um, slot That's wise right. so That's yeah right. interesting yeah. thanks Chris interesting.
2: Uh, another just uh, a couple more from uh, Mark Perkins, Perkins, first of all. He says, good morning, podcats, which I quite like. Uh, I was out for a run <laughs> listening to the latest podcast when I heard that Jerry was upset to find phones had been given a name in some of the Stingray spin-off material. Ooh. And for the rest of my run, I racked my brain to think what it was. I had an idea he'd been given the surname Sheridan, mm. but couldn't remember his first name. I was pretty sure it was mentioned in a Stingray annual, and sure enough, I found it. Turns out his name was
1: George. That's no sense. wonder
2: everyone called him Phones. absolutely much better <laughs> yeah, that's right but yeah uh, and it? finally here's an interesting one for you jamie got oh, an email yes. from uh marty who says hey there i just stumbled upon jerryanderson.co.uk and wondered if you'd consider selling it it seems to fit the bill for what i'm currently looking for if you aren't <laughs> willing to consider selling it no worries i completely understand in that case i'll be happy just to be a fan hope to hear from you soon marty over to you uh, thanks thanks, but no thanks Marty <laughs> uh, that's a funny one isn't it we get a lot of spam like, that one just caught my eye that was, that was anyway. a lovely bit of spam that one yeah. cool. uh, all for now but uh, remember send your emails in to podcast at jerryanderson.com and I might even read it out next week
1: uh, or you might not
2: or I might not that's true
1: no guarantees yep. of this podcast of anything that's true. Sp- yep, yep. especially the quality and content Uh, all right ouch (laughs) anyway look can you just stop being so rude for a moment yes because i've got some jerry anderson (gasps) news for you
2: now that's what we're looking forward to
1: then let's dive in It's uh <laughs> gotta say it all. What's the matter? No, it's it's just cause you were busy making funny noises. I mean we'll keep this in, so, Oh, you yeah, know, obviously that's fine. Anyway, yeah. it's the Jerry Anderson newsy, yeah, news. news, news, news. news. Oh, yeah, I know mean, news.
2: that wasn't the best we've ever done it. But no, it
1: was it, but it's it's raw. It's you know, it's it's yeah. alth- authentic, as they say. What we do. Yeah. Goodness me. Uh, yes, I've got some Jerry Anderson news for you. Uh, yes. this week on Friday, the twenty eighth of October, mm-hmm. it's uh a very happy birthday to Fireball XL5 that turns oh. 60 years old on can Friday. Can
2: you believe it? Yeah.
1: Well, I can. And oh, um, okay. there's a huge amount of love out there for Fireball XL5. In fact, uh, I've just been this week at a TV market in Cannes in the south of France doing some, oh, some work down there. Uh, have you? I oh, see. yeah. Have <laughs> a, and um, when I got my taxi back to the airport to find that my plane was cancelled, I shared the ride <laughs> with a very, very nice man who lives in Vancouver. Um, oh yeah! And it turns out, uh, it, very quick into our, into our discussion, that he's a huge fan of Fireball XL5. <laughs> no, so, really?
2: Yeah, yeah. Did he say? Uh, yeah. Do you know I had that? Uh, I had that, uh, you know, Fireball XL5 in the back the other day.
1: <laughs> no, not the not the driver of the taxi. The guy I was sharing the ride with.
2: Oh, I see. From the market. Anyway, <laughs> look. I thought that was a bit of a coincidence. Sorry, I didn't yeah, explain you know myself saying, very clearly. You bear an uncanny resemblance to the son of Jerry Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know I'm a big fan of Fireball XL5? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: your head's as shiny as Robert see. the Robots. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> anyway. No, no, no. This is all, all very XL5-centric, right, this news. Right. Okay, so yep. here we go with some XL5 news. Now, have you seen uh, this very evening we've recorded Network on Air? Uh, have tweeted about a very, very special anniversary restoration with new colorizations, a previously lost episode, and much yes. more, streaming for free for one night only at yes. watch.networkonair.com. Uh, that's on Friday the 28th of October, 6.50pm UK time for a 7pm start. Uh, now, okay. Chris Dale has been working on this, uh, as has Chris Thompson, um, I may he even have contributed to something here as well? Yes, I thought you
2: might. Oh. I thought you might. I think I heard it earlier. Did you? I think I've had it done. Oh, Go on.
1: Sorry, you weren't supposed to hear anything earlier. Uh, so, it's, it's a lovely thing. So, there's a colourised episode of Fireball XL5. There's Planet 4-6 uh, in, in, in standard black and white, but in HD, because that's the first episode. So, you're watching it almost exactly 60 years uh, after the original broadcast. Wow. But there's also a colourised episode of Four Feather Falls so Four Feather Falls is seen, will be seen that night for the first ever oh, time in colour lovely uh, which is rather lovely and then the Sun Temple another episode of Fire Black Cell 5 colourised there plus you've got uh, You've Never Seen This episode 6 of that series that Dad made so it's a real Gerry Anderson fest great um, and it's all for free just go to watch.networkandair.com and register there and you can watch along and it'll be all rather lovely so there you go now we've already spoken last week and the week before I think about our XL5 60th anniversary comic anthology well Well, that is shipping this week so uh, on Monday this week Lee Sullivan and I will be at the warehouse signing the special editions packaging them up ready for those of you who've ordered which is sold (laughs) out now so if you missed it please don't try and find one they are gone Mm -hmm. And then they will be shipping from Tuesday, uh, possibly Wednesday this week. So we hope that lots of you, especially in the UK, will have them in time for the 60th, 60th anniversary. And those outside the UK won't have to wait very long for them either. It's a beauty. There's a 17-page crossover story featuring Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet and Stingray. It's awesome. It's a lovely book. And yeah, there's so much love there for XL5. It's so nice to package something up in this way where you can kind of relive your comic XL5 fantasy all over again. Yeah also for Fireball XL5 60th anniversary, coming. Cloud of a Billion Lights, uh, the mini album on Flame Vinyl limited edition of a 1000 Worldwide which is also shipping this week so that's exciting, but if you're not looking to spend any cash, and I completely understand if you're not, then we've also got a yeah. free gift for you on our YouTube channel launching this Friday uh, slightly ahead of the network's uh, network watch along so you don't have to miss mm. that, you can get in the mood for it I won't give anything away, but it's a, it's a lovely little thing that'll take you right back.
2: Oh, How's that? That sounds lovely. And
1: finally, those of you who've been... Actually, it's not finally. I don't know why I'm saying finally. I've got more things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those of you who've been very patiently waiting for the concert, CD soundtrack, and the DVD Blu-ray, yes. well, yeah. the CD will be coming to you this week, oh, and the Blu-ray well. and DVD will be shipping next week. Well done. So, well done. finally, we've got there. I'm so sorry for the delays. As I mentioned on a previous podcast, we massively over underestimated the difficulty, overestimated how easy it was going to be, yeah. depending on your perspective. Sure. Um, but we are finally there. It's out in the world, and it's also thanks to our friends and network going to be available more broadly, which I'm very pleased about because Ooh. it's a lovely thing and it should be. But those of you who've ordered, uh, pre ordered, you should get yours first. We'll be doing everything we can to get them to you first. And um, yes, I'm Great. just thrilled. So you're going to be able to watch it for the first time, or rewatch it oh. and relive all that lovely music. It's a very emotional thing. So uh,
2: yeah, lovely. Do you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, what I do? Uh, you know, what we now, late October. What I do when it arrived? I'd wrap it up. I would put it to one side, and when I put my Christmas tree up, I would put it under the tree and wait for Christmas. Would you? I really would.
1: Gosh, yeah. You're why so not? much more patient than I. I, I, ah. I I'm going to rip mine open and put it on when it arrives. Yeah. Oh, All anyway, right. Fair enough. There you go. Don't tell um, me how it ends. <laughs> weren't you there <laughs> uh, I'll tell you how it ends with a hangover and Covid uh, for me <laughs>
2: oh yes yes that's right yeah. so
1: Whoops. I hope you fare better <laughs> with the DVD and Blu-ray uh, now another pre-order that's been a long 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 time coming was the 1612 Micro Eagles and the Eagle Launchpad yes. lots have been waiting patiently I mean I think that went on pre-order 18 months ago Gosh, poor 1612 yeah. have been plagued by supply chain problems not the worst supply chain problems out of all the suppliers I must say right, but pretty yeah. bad um, they've had some real terrible luck, but finally they're here, and we've got about 40 or 50 eagles still left in stock. Ooh, we probably won't be getting any more though, so if you do want to grab those, then it's um, well, a good time to grab them now. There's loads more yeah. good stuff going on in the background, and we've got some other stuff coming up, but that's so much. I feel like we should let Fireball XL5 breathe and revel in its 60th anniversary glory. So that means that that is now the end of this week's Jerry Anderson News
2: news that was that news that was that oh right i I think that's right i really had well that was that that yes that's right that's That's right isn't it yeah yeah there you go
1: that's Matty's request the way you sang it though made you sound a bit drunk well
2: i was quite i was doubtful i was actually having to sort of picture the words in the air above me (laughs) as i sang it and then sort of do it backwards I should have just written it down.
1: Yeah, 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 you should have. But pitching picture in the the air above you, that's a great tip. Is that an acting thing?
2: I suppose it must be, yeah. yeah.
1: God, you're so smart. Well,
2: uh, now (laughs) I'd like to know, on the back of that news, do you remember the first ever episode of Fireball XL5 that you can watch uh, on Networks Night In on Friday night? Were you there the first time? Do you have any memory of watching it the first time, that very first episode 60 years ago? And will you be watching it on Friday?
1: Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Well, I hope there will be quite a few people, actually, who might be watching it. Yeah, why not? I mean, you know, people are going to be sort of, what, 64, 65, 66 now? Yeah, yeah. Maybe a a little bit older. There's absolutely, you know, why won't they be watching it? Yeah.
2: Let us know. That would be a lovely thing. Let us know if you'll be sitting down to watch it again, almost 60 years from the day that you first watched it. Mm. That's quite romantic. I like that. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Now, if you're on Facebook, you could join our wonderful Facebook podder's Podcast, a visual listeners group. Uh, they have a lot of fun there. Very nice, supportive, and welcoming community. Uh, and they post pictures of their cosplay and their merch and their latest model builds, and they just generally post their thoughts, not only about Jerry Anderson but also life in general. Steve Bushell says, "Why did my work colleague look at me weirdly when I burst out laughing when he said I've left some gubbins on your desk?" And I replied, do you have clammy ears? (laughs) He looked blank, so obviously doesn't listen or hasn't caught up yet. This should be the secret phrase to spot a fellow podster on. (laughs) That's a great idea. Have you ever used a phrase from the podcast to someone who doesn't listen and then thought, oh, he won't know what on earth I'm talking about? Let us know. (laughs) I might Uh, start doing it. Yeah, that's right, Steve Guttridge Out of interest, how far behind are the episodes on the Jerry Anderson Randomizer podcast compared to the episodes featured on the Jerry Anderson podcast? Well, luckily, Chris Dale was on hand to say that uh, his Randomizer podcast is eighty-three weeks behind the Jerry Anderson podcast. Gosh, amazing! <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh Stu then asked Chris, uh, is there any danger of running out of episodes within the next two years of the randomizer? And Chris said, "No chance. There's content to run the randomizer until pod five hundred and sixty-ish. So there's another six and a bit years to go.
1: Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a lovely, it's a sad but an amazing thought to get to that uh, that level, isn't it? I mean, th- I mean, I shall be uh, just about sixty by then. What, so. Well, I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? No, it's not crazy at all. Nick Briggs is busy podcasting for Big Finish and he's 61.
2: Yeah, yeah right.
1: Yeah, he's very good at it, Brian.
2: Uh, James so Charles so are you, Andrew James.
1: So are you. <laughs> James Monroe says, I really
2: listened to Brains is Dead today and noticed a nice little touch. Thunderbirds fans might recall Parker and Karanu having a difference of opinion when they met back in The Mighty Atom. But here, when things are getting serious, Parker is all, lead the way, old son. All animosity forgotten. Mm. Nice to see them pulling together like that.
1: Yes, isn't nice it nice? Isn't it? isn't it sweet? It's a chance, isn't it? Mm. These
2: sort of uh, reissues and revisits to these older stories uh, mm. to revisit and slightly reimagine the old characters, isn't it?
1: Of course. Yeah. We're not. While staying we're, faithful, of course, to the original. Yeah, and I think that's what people have found. They are extremely faithful. But yeah. I mean, you, you know, if you you could go to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> excuse me you go to the end of the earth to try and find somebody who does an absolutely pitch perfect imitation of every single character yeah but it, it, I don't think it is about that yeah is it yeah. it's about extending the storytelling and, uh, yeah. and just growing the world so yeah. that's what we've done that's right and this is the only way it can be done isn't it
2: you know if you want well. new content well <laughs> we've got to use new actors that's, exactly that's just a sad way exactly. it is, isn't it yeah uh, Paul Mayne has posted, I really enjoyed the recent four-part interview with Chris Bentley and was mm. particularly excited to hear that we may be seeing a space precinct, The Vault, at some point in the future. Chris informed us that this would be possible thanks to his extensive behind-the-scenes access during the making of the show, and I understand that there will be a large number of props, models, costumes, toys and collectibles, etc., making an appearance in the book. However, to date... I have not yet been approached by Chris to ask permission to feature the world's most unique item of space space memorabilia of which I am the proud owner in the book. That's the Officer Orin Underpants, the oh, one at the live
1: podcast in Birmingham. It was me thinking, what on earth is he talking <laughs> about? And then I suddenly uh, remembered the photo.
2: Yeah, yeah. He says they were truly one of a kind and the only known example in the world, perhaps deserving of a chapter in its own right. And if he asks really nicely, I may offer to model them. Maybe the centre spread of the book or a pull out poster for the wall. Chris, he says,
1: I await the call. Gosh, well. Yeah. I mean, I will just, we should just back things up and say that Chris said maybe that could possibly potentially be a thing that would happen <laughs> if there was sufficient interest and a publisher wanted to do it. So maybe. There yeah, were so yeah, many caveats. So. It was like, yeah. Uh, yeah. But nice so, idea, uh, though, w- Paul.
2: Yeah, but maybe not put the pants on quite
1: yet. D- well, no, keep the them message. on.
2: Oh, yeah, but, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, there we are.
1: Uh, all for now, but
2: uh, if you're online, if you're on Facebook, and you just fancy a nice place to hang out and uh, chat all things Jerry Anderson, uh, then the uh, podcast official listeners group is the place to be. Yeah.
1: Great. Uh, great yeah. statement. I fully agree and endorse this um, thing you've said. Excellent. <laughs> hey, thanks for that. <laughs> That's all right. There's a first. Um, Thank you, yes. Uh, uh, another first here on the Jerry Anson yes. podcast is this week's interviewee, Richard.
2: Oh, yes, yes.
1: Do you want to know about him? Uh, yes. That's a good answer. Uh, well, the guest this week is Connor Flanagan, and Connor is a Belfast-based comic book artist best known to Ander fans for drawing... Two things, Space Precinct Reloaded, and most recently, new Captain Scarlet, Operation Sabre, which is sadly now sold out. Connor gives us uh, his insight into creating the world of Spectrum on paper and in panels this week. So here is Connor for part one of two.
4: I'm Connor Flanagan, and I am uh, the comic book artist for Captain Scarlet, Operation Sabre.
1: I mean, there's lots more that you do beyond that, uh, Connor, I'm sure, in your world, but it, that's, I guess, the thing, a particular note for for Anderson fans and if you have not yet got your copy of Operation Saber and you are listen to this then we're very close to selling out the first print run I can say that now uh, which hopefully will make you smile Connor uh, so do grab one and I'm sure you know you'll you'll see by the end of this or hear by the end of this how kind of how passionate uh, Connor is about not just New Captain Scarlet but other Anderson stuff so don't let me down Connor now I've said that Uh <laughs> You say you say you're the artist for Saber. That's that was quite a long project. For those who don't know, this is a new new Captain Scarlet continuation from the 2005 series. Is you know picking up where that series left off. How how long have you been involved in doing that and other Anson comic stuff?
4: Yeah, it's it's been quite a it's been quite a long process, quite a, a long journey for me. <laughs> um, probably for everyone else involved, actually. Um, it really, I mean. My involvement with Anderson Entertainment really started w- when uh, I, I became involved working on Space Precinct Reloaded. That stretches back <laughs> to two thousand and eighteen. Um, yep. Which was really a bit of a proving ground for me. Um, I threw everything in the kitchen, everything in the kitchen sink at that one, and uh, but it was a, it was definitely a learning process because I had I'd really been out of the drawing scene for quite some time. Um, but um, if I fast forward to Captain Scarlet. Really, you know, the, all the proving had been done on, on Space Precinct. So when, yeah. when I went into it, I went in with a, a renewed sense of vigour and also a lot more assuredness. Also a, a, a lot more um, desire to, uh, obviously, always, always improve, always evolve. So one of, one of the, the things I was very, very keen to do um, on, on uh, New Captain Scarlet was to colour that as well yeah. which which I knew would, would help me evolve and improve and just generally grow as an artist um, mm. but as I say <laughs> doing all of those tasks in between working a, a, essentially a full time job uh, I work at Forbidden Planet uh, Belfast uh, comic book store so uh, <laughs> squeezing the, uh, I, I think I became more squeezing the job in around the comic than the other <laughs> way about but um, <laughs> uh if there were early mornings, I parked up, sitting in the car, trying to get a bit of work done, um, especially in the early days uh, of uh, NCS, the comic book, um, it was on paper I was working still, pencils, inks, on paper. uh, So wherever I could get a bit of drawing time in, that's essentially (laughs) what I did. Uh, But as I moved on into the digital process, obviously that changed things in a big, big way. Got myself a rather nifty drawing tablet, um, which has allowed for just generally a much cleaner uh, approach to things uh a lot, lot, lot more efficient and i've just i've seen my work improve tenfold um through mm. that you know so
1: yeah invest investing in yourself and your craft right
4: yeah absolutely and as say, yeah. it, it wouldn't ordinarily take that length of time to produce a book like that um but as i say in or not not ordinary circumstances but obviously <laughs> <laughs> very appreciative that i was allowed to go and do that so as I go forward with other projects it's obvious that it'll be a lot quicker and a lot more efficient so
1: time time to focus down well I did I did say that you were dedicated to that and I think the image of you sat in your car early mornings because
4: <laughs> You know, no. you can't do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was assuming you were parked up, but that's reassuring to know uh, if, if any, uh, you know, uh, police are listening. Uh, no, really Colin was definitely fighter, parked was up. Me, <laughs> you know, <a> lot. <laughs> well, but I mean, but there, there's a nice kind of cottage industry dedicated vibe to that, which is really, really nice. But I'm glad you're going to be able to spend some more time on stuff going forward, whatever those things might be. Um, um, but before we get into your kind of uh, awareness of um, Anderson stuff generally, obviously there's a there's a, a point at which you become involved with this and that connects back to someone who m- many of our listeners will know so how ha- how did this all happen and how did you first get that involvement connor
4: yeah well, i have to highlight as well it's pretty huge for me you know it would be huge for anybody you know when you when you a, have that dream of of, of uh you're know, working on a, an ip that's Famous, essentially, you know, um, mm. but very specifically for me, you know, as a, as a child, that was my dream to work in comics. And for whatever reason, I got sidetracked to some degree. And, you know, I kind of put that behind me. So when someone walks through your door one day, or uh, essentially, uh, in, in this case, Chris Thompson walks into your place of work one day and offers you an opportunity, in this case, it was Space Priest Reloaded. <laughs> it changes your life in a big big way you know um and I, I know I wasn't for a second going to allow that uh, to to fall uh, I was gonna make sure and run with that the best that I could and um, so as I say I threw everything in the kitchen sink at that one so I'll be forever grateful to him you know it just uh, we' become firm friends he uh, and Andrew Clements as well firm friends very very shared in, a big shared interest in the Anderson stuff so and, and obviously broader than that but uh, yeah Chris Thompson hero.
1: Chris. We, uh, we, oh don't talk to you about his hair Connor. that's really that's very unfair to, to mention the hair uh, when oh, you're sorry, talking to sorry. a baldy uh no it's fine well as i as i say to chris quite often the late denise Breyer who played zelda in terror hawks she loved his hair <laughs> Just which she would at any time she she saw me she would ask after Chris where's that lovely chap with wonderful hair beautiful hair he's got oh she was obsessed anyway moving on from Chris Thompson's hair uh, I mean that the whole the whole thing of you having a dream of working in comic books and then you know perhaps that being sidelined or waylaid for a bit but then you know grabbing it by the horns it fits in very nicely for me with the whole kind of Anderson ethos of you know inspirational aspirational stuff so I'm, I'm hoping we can hook that back to your maybe childhood experiences of anderson so i mean when 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 was your first anderson exposure and what was it
4: mm. my first anderson exposure um so i've been thinking on this and um i actually it goes back to i think i was about three or four years old mm. and what i can recall weirdly enough, are the opening credits of Captain Scarlet. Ah. I, I suspect because they were quite haunting. But yeah. in a direct contrast to that, and, and I, I'm i not sure. I, I remember a small uh, 4x3 television screen, as, as we all probably had, um little portable TV. And <laughs> for some reason, I attribute to this also the end credits of Dukes of Hazard. I don't know if they were on directly after each other or what, but those two images stick in my head. And um, so that's about three or four years old. But <laughs> if, if some, so I lived in Armagh when I was younger um, uh, and that was a particular house. I, I remember specifically and and directly linked to that. I remember, and I think I told you the story before how we'd pulled into um, an old garage somewhere in Armagh and it was a rickety old kind of garage at least from the eyes of a child that's what it seemed and it was oily yeah. and it was dirty and it was all of these things and um, but the one thing that caught my eye and really shouldn't have been there but it was there for some reason where it was a rack of terrorhawks figures uh, pegged and hanging ah, yes. and that's where i got yeah. my first action figure and it was a uh, sergeant major zero so that nice. was quite nice um, which i had that figure for years until i unceremoniously decided as children do uh, I-, I wondered what what was inside it so I think I cracked it like an egg to get in there <laughs> so I don't know why I did that but yeah I was very disappointed when I got inside I can assure you um but yeah, so like it, yeah not as cool as the
1: outside by a long yeah, way <laughs>
4: um so that was that they were they're the earliest memories but you know I suppose people today certainly you know with the younger generation probably don't realize how Lucky they have it in the sense of they can access these things very quickly because oh yeah something like terrorhawks essentially it's sort of from you know from from my point of view as did a lot of things uh, faded away you know they couldn't really be accessed and you were unless you were very very lucky you know to come across it on some sort of repeat, repeat or you know find a videotape or something like which which I consequently did I found a terrorhawks videotape when I was twenty at a, at a St George's Market they call it in, in Belfast. Um, <laughs> and that just it flooding back to me, but that's jumping ahead slightly because obviously in the early nineties there was a, the, the, the the big relaunch of uh, Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet, Stingray, all of those things, yeah, which were massively, massively uh, huge impact um, on me, particularly Thunderbirds. Um, I remember, you know, I I'd, I'd had exposure to them through a couple of videotapes. I had a Terrahawks videotape and I had a Thunderbirds videotape, but they were. Uh, mashed together episodes, um, yep. into into movies. I think Thunderbirds and Outer Space was one of them. I can't really That's recall. It, the right. Yeah, the
1: Super Space Theater stuff.
4: Yeah, I you know. I fell in love with the Sun Probe story and uh, the Rick O'Shea stories. Uh, they, yeah. they were just absolutely superb. But it didn't prepare me. It, it's weird, you know, because when I finally saw the episodes on TV with the opening credits as they should be and the end credits mm. as, as they should be. It was, it, was, it was like lightning. It was like the Thunderbird's lightning as well, but um, yeah. it, it just there was nothing like it. I, that first episode with the fire flash, oh, I was, ho- I was yeah. hooked, instantly hooked. <laughs> um,
1: it, it is a great first episode because so many shows these days, you need two or three or four episodes to get into them, whereas yeah. I think that's one of the very few examples where the moment you start with that episode, you are in. You know, I hear it all the time.
4: But it's also that culmination. It's, uh, you know, you, uh, I think your dad made a lot of shows, and you know, lightning struck a number of times. Um, it's a very rare thing when music, you know, puppetry in this case, uh, uh, actors, all of these things come together to make something really special. And you know, I, I, nobody sets out to make something bad. Nobody makes sets out to make something mediocre. But you know, it's not very easy to set out to make some, something that is so memorable and influential and special. And oh, absolutely. Uh, I, a lot of these shows just hit the nail on the head every time. So, yeah. Um, so my, th- th- those are my earliest memories, and, and obviously the impact of those was huge, especially going through school for me, because essentially what happened, uh, every single project that I did was Jerry uh, Anderson-related. Essentially, my, <laughs> my GCSEs and my A-levels, I made puppets.
0: Ah.
4: Yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. I did a dissertation on puppetry uh, for my A-level, uh, which... Um, Got into I think I got into the best of Northern Ireland uh, exhibitions that went around at one point. In, in, in my, for my GCSEs, I made a singular puppet. It was semi-based on Captain Sisko from Deep Space Nine. My other big love was Star Trek. Um, <laughs> and then for my A-levels, I made two puppets uh, based on two friends, old friends of mine, Shane Kerr and Martin McKeown. Um And they it was very cool. Like So it was sort of based around a camping theme. They had to sort of tie it in some way to an existing... Um, theme that we had running but uh, mm. I, I just used any excuse that I could to, to push the Jerry Anderson end in um, I think I, what, because obviously then it, it led on to I, I moved into a sort of uh, the video end of things and I think in the back of my mind I always, I always thought yeah I'd like to make those kinds of shows or something uh, the allure of film and video is the other, other big draw but I, I think somewhere along the line I learned that uh, focus is key in these things and I, I think the, the very early dream was uh, comic books so mm. if I had kept that focus, maybe I'd have come to this a little bit earlier. But uh, the allure of all that other stuff kind of drew me along, you know.
1: I think when when you get to the, when you get to something, it's the right time whether you whether you know it yeah. or not. So you know, sometimes these things culminate that way. So so you kind of you you had a bit of video, a bit of toy, a bit of telly, a bit of physical interest in the puppetry, which you carried through, and then then obviously the comic side. So early 90s i guess it was the, the thunderbirds comics that were coming out were you were you getting those was that part of your kind of gestation into becoming fascinated there
4: absolutely it was um so 1991 i think was the thunderbirds comic might have been later but so i was, I was becoming exposed to you know uh, artists like mike noble um frank mm. Bellamy, steve kite obviously they're generationally slightly different artists yeah. but and, and very different in styles as well, um, in ways. But um, th- those were massive to me. And that kind of that, that ran on, I think I would have been sure what age I was then, probably about nine or ten or something like that, eight, nine, ten. And then that ran on for what, most, most through my teenage years, actually. So I was still collecting those comics right up to, I don't know, 16, 17 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stuck with them, yeah, and I still have them to this day, so um, they, they were massive. There was uh, there was a particular story, actually, um, in the Thunderbirds comic, Visitor from Space. I loved that one, um, specifically because in the show we don't see anything sort of science fiction-esque in, in terms of uh, a setup, maybe Attack of the Alligators to some degree, but I, I love mm. this idea. And I have to say, I wouldn't really want to have seen it on screen. Um, I, I like the idea that it was grounded and it was... Uh, um, uh, disaster sort of orientated. But it was yeah. interesting reading the comics and seeing a giant alien or the, the Thunderbird Boys uh, um, encountering a giant alien. Uh, it was very, very different. Um, so that was one that stuck out in my head particularly. Of course, drawn by Frank Bellamy, it was absolutely gorgeous to look at. So mm. it was particularly nice.
1: Yeah, the wider um, possibility of the comics, some people find them a bit, a bit jarring. But if you kind of treat them as their own entity
3: uh well, yeah I think the, a, the, the other one uh, the,
4: the steve i think a steve kite story where it's uh, obviously they started off doing adaptions uh, of the episodes which are just absolutely gorgeous absolutely beautiful adaptions and then but i think later on it combined with the captain scarlet comic and, and the joe knight comic and they all com- came into one and mm-hmm. there was a story in that where i think it was like a lost island scenario and uh thunderbird 2 maybe crashing on a or Thunderbird one crashing on a, a mysterious island and encountering dinosaurs, mm. which I, I thought was quite nice yeah. as well. You know. Silly, but you know, fun. Not the kind of thing that I, I like. So yeah, that was part, that was part cool. of the
1: joy of all these things is yeah. to, is to have, push the boundaries.
4: Yeah, I have to say as well, obviously, I was also being exposed to other things around the time. Um mm. in 92 93 was the death of Superman from DC Comics. You know, I don't know anyone who wasn't uh, you know, uh, didn't know about it. If certainly if you didn't get to read it. Or see it at the time. Dan Jurgen's art uh, on that uh, just seared into my brain. Um, <laughs> and then obviously there's, there's uh, the breaking of the bat and the nightfall story storyline as well. Uh, Batman. Uh, and then of course, uh, really, really massively. So uh, X Men by Jim Lee that that was that was huge. I think that animated series was on around that time as well. So those are sort of more US influences, but they, they, yeah. they were the other things I was reading around the time.
1: Okay. So a lot lot sort of uh, bleeding into your young mind. Um, Well, absolutely. And and making you who you are today, Connor. Some more of Connor next week. Finishing off more recollections of uh, all things comic, all things New Scarlet, and reflections on... Well, actually not reflections. What are they before they've happened premonitions, <laughs> premonitions. Uh, of, of future things uh yeah i don't know anticipatory reflections something yeah. like that
2: okay anyway no, as
1: i said yeah. go on oh,
2: well I... I think i might have met connor i think i might have met connor in belfast
1: where, where when would that have been well about four
2: years ago i was on tour in, in belfast oh, ac very kindly put me up and yes. i visited the uh, the very
1: shop oh then you probably would have uh, met connor yeah forbidden planet in, in belfast yeah He's a very, nice well, he a very nice man. Well, as you've just said. he was a very nice man. he still is. Yeah, he still is. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. As I mentioned before this interview or before this part of the interview, the print run of Operation Saber is currently sold out. There, I think there are three or four copies in the USA store. If you want to get them from Jerry Store, however, Captain Scarlet will return in a digital uh-huh. edition. Uh, uh-huh. So keep an eye on the Jerry Anderson Store, the Jerry Anderson website, and uh, Comicsology for that release in the next few weeks meanwhile though you can find connor online on twitter and instagram as flanavision like it because he's flanagan you see like but it's it. only that's one like n it. in Flan. well two n's in flanavision f-l-a-n-a vision there you go
2: okay that's where the two ends are i see
1: you mean not two ends together don't you <laughs> yeah two ends a bit apart that's right okay goodness that's me quite complicated
2: more complicated than it needed to be i think <laughs> Uh, but very good now while we're on the subject of complicated things uh, if you do listen to the podcast uh, try and find on your app of choice where is the best place to hit any kind of subscribe or follow button yeah,
1: like uh, to make sure that you get
2: that's it that every every uh, notification every time a new episode drops and also do leave us a revating for heaven's sake now that's the easy part just a few words and maybe a five star review would go down uh, very well with us because that means that the algorithms will put us to the top of of lots of other people's lists and they might listen to us too uh, and finally you could even copy and share the link to all your social media profiles let people know that you're listening to the Jerry Anderson podcast simples please do
1: that yeah. or else. I mean, there's no or else oh, threat, really. Right. That's really. rather threatening. It'll be now, nice if it Meanwhile, would. <laughs> yes,
2: over on Twitter, people have been hashtagging us uh, me, Richard N. James, him over there, I'm Jamie Anderson, and him over there standing by the big red button for the randomizer, Chris Dalek, to tell us what they think about various things. Peach, for example, tweeted, Happy days. I've just found the first 71 podcast uh, episodes of the Jerry Addison podcast. Time for another binge listening session. That's good, isn't it? Mmm. I wonder where they were hiding, under the sofa or something.
1: Probably, yeah. We're That's what happens with these bad. things.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gary Hodgkinson says it's fun and it's free and certainly well worth a listen. It's the Jerry Anderson podcast. I mean, yes. one out of three ain't bad. We're certainly <laughs> one of those things, aren't we? <laughs> we are. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. No, I cannot, I mean, you know, 208, what, where are we? 226, 228, all free for you to enjoy.
1: Yes. I'm just, just working out a rough uh, running time.
2: Yeah. yeah. Hour and a half for each of
1: them. That's
2: gotta yeah. be a year's worth, isn't
1: it? Well that's back to thinking. back. 60. Well that's three hundred and forty two hours. Oh I see. Yes, I was done. thinking days. Yeah. <laughs> uh so well the solid days, that's fourteen and a quarter solid days of listening. Right.
2: There you go. All for free. Jim McCarthy says, excellent, Jerry Anderson podcast. Oh, uh, yes, he sent a link, or rather posted a link, to the randomised episode of UFO Identified. He says it goes into in-depth uh, detail on the first UFO episode, identified some grisly elements, and we find out why the aliens have come to Earth. Ooh. Yeah, well done, Chris Dale, on that episode. Ooh. Graham Wood says, uh, oh, he posted some pictures from October 1978. Look in. Uh, which is a uh, uh, sort of a children's uh, comic that used to come out once a week. Yeah. Featuring Blondie, Benny Hill, Stewpot on the ball, Steve Williams. How many of these do you remember? Six Million Dollar Man, Inu Brighton's Famous Five, Smurfs, How the West was One, Jerry Anderson, The Bionic Woman, David Bellamy, and Mind Your Language. I mean, that takes me back. What a list. Absolutely. Uh, Vito posted, I'm a huge Jerry Anderson fan. Uh, I took my kid to see the Thunderbirds uh, movie around 2010-ish. Hmm. As the movie started, I got drowsy and told him uh, if anything happens don't move I fell asleep and woke up with the credits rolling <laughs> right well you know hey maybe he, maybe your son or child enjoyed it more than you did Paula says uh, uh, now initially scheduled for 13 episodes the Fox Kids edition of Thunderbirds was cancelled after 7 despite this ratings crash it still lasted longer than the UK Prime Minister Liz Truss out right there you go That's the politics. You've inserted some
1: politics, but yes, now it's over.
2: Uh, And finally for now, Stainless Steel Haggis said, the problem with today's kids is they're not watching any Gerry Anderson puppet shows. Well, we know they are, don't we, Jamie? Yeah, they are. That's the thing. Stainless Steel Haggis.
1: We get emails about it every week.
2: And loving them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So there you go. Uh, But do post your thoughts and pictures and random musings on Twitter. Hashtag us. And uh, I'll read your tweets out next time.
1: Hurrah. Hooray. Another reason to say hooray is Chris Dale. (laughs) Oh yeah. Just his very presence makes us all go hooray and hurrah. Hurrah, absolutely. And huzzah, in fact. Uh, So Chris turns up every week to either press the button of the randomizer. Yeah. Get someone else or something else to press the button on the randomizer. Yeah. Or find some other way of randomly choosing a Jerry Anderson episode.
2: Yes, yes. Now I know why you're doing that, but it's not quite as snappy, is
1: it? No, it's not. Anyway, he's here with the randomizer, he's gonna choose a random episode. That's it. So we just let him do it.
5: Yeah, go on.
3: Over to you, Chris. Make it snappy. Hello, Gay. Oh, is that the randomizer selection you've got there?
5: Yes, I think you'll find everything's in order.
3: Well, let's have a look. Oh my goodness, yes, this is a very good choice. Well, no time for a full introduction today as we're heading back to the very beginning of Space 1999 for Breakaway.
5: Fine.
3: Well now, uh, how appropriate it is that uh, I am watching Breakaway on the randomizer on September 13th, 2022. Uh, That doesn't mean anything to you guys, because you won't be hearing this until... October? But hey-ho! It has been suggested that uh, in previous years, it could turn up on Breakaway Day, and it hasn't. But it's here now, and I'm very excited, because this is obviously a landmark episode, and... uh, It does feel like we haven't had too many proper landmark episodes on the randomizer. we
0: just passed through the laser barrier and we should be ready to start Dr. Russell's manual check on the radiation seals in a couple of minutes.
3: But here we are on the dark side of the moon, don't question it, at the uh, nuclear monitoring station over Nuclear Waste Disposal Area 2 of Moonbase Alpha, a uh, lunar research community built on the moon. We're here in the year
5: 1999 from
3: because somebody had very high hopes for the future Why won't
5: you finish unloading? but
3: I've got to say this opening is just
5: uh, I,
6: think I
3: mean all the way through this is a very nice looking episode in terms of not just the visuals but the attention to detail in, in certain points throughout the base and we'll come to that but just the opening shot of the moon and the earth and the sun it's beautiful it's just streets ahead of any of the space shots in UFO, and then you you get the, the nuclear waste disposal area, and it's a very nice-looking world, and more importantly, a very real-looking world, a very believable world, straight away. Alpha, this feels like an inhabited world.
6: We'll be landing at Moonbase Alpha 23.
3: In a way that, I'd say, perhaps UFO didn't.
0: Coffee, Commander. Thank you. I've
6: got Commissioner.
3: Check your chest, and off you go. I'll take it. Yeah, it's, um... It just feels so real, so believable, all this.
0: Well, your sign sealed and approved.
3: And here we have another interesting holdover from UFO, uh... The idea of political intrigue, which um, obviously wasn't going to last very long into the series, unlike, say, the Straker and Henderson thing. Your job is to put man on meta. But again, I love with the Anderson shows, you know, we make these big, giant leaps into space. Yeah, we'll do that, but uh, have you got the money to do that?
0: Shot of the planet Meta, taken from the unmanned space fairer 9.
3: a rogue planet, planet Meta. Well,
0: not only that, we're receiving signals, loud and clear, relayed from the same probe. Ooh. There's no doubt about it.
3: It's a squiggly planet ring thing. Would
0: be supporting life as we know it. The Metaprobe astronaut virus infection mustn't be allowed to stop us. We must make a man landing on Meta. Nothing will stop us. Nothing. Good
3: luck. So, Planet Meta is approaching. Well, I don't know where it is exactly. It seems to be just a rogue planet. I don't know if it's. Happening to be passing by the Earth's solar system, or what? But uh, we've we've built a probe to go out and investigate. Yes, yeah, another lovely model of the uh, the Metaprobe ship, and even more beautiful that gorgeous space dock. Looks good, but I'd like to see it on its way to Meta. And of course, Shane Rimmer is the voice of the Eagle pilot there, uh, replacing scenes where Koenig was watching Simmons being uh, interviewed about the Metaprobe, and I think Shane Rimmer was the the interviewer. Um, Because there are lots of reshoots for this uh, uh, episode. I mean, most scenes had some kind of reshoot, including this one. They had Michael Sheard there uh, as the controller of the depot.
5: Get Nordstrom out of there. I think he's in trouble.
3: (laughs) But even Michael Sheard would not be enough to save poor old Nordstrom. Or Nordstom.
6: Get out there and bring Nordstrom in.
3: As his helmet... uh, Name implies, but this stuff is just gorgeous. I love the, I love the lunar fight scenes in this series. Even though
5: intensive care unit, please stand by. We have a casualty.
3: As we're about to get to, uh, there's an unfortunate goof here. You can also see the top of the set there, unfortunately. But no, no, it doesn't do anything to spoil my enjoyment and immersion of this wonderful world, and this unexpected moment of horror that um, suddenly thrusts into it as, uh, as Nordstrom goes completely insane one of his eyes goes opaque and then runs into the laser barrier don't know why that's there don't know who it's protecting the nuclear waste from on the dark sided moon cracked his helmet visor open and that's it he dead so we're back from the opening titles and I've got to say it's such an effective uh, opening that one everything seems all nice and normal and futuristic and we've got some things going on and then sudden madness and it's quite It's quite scary. It's quite unsettling. At least I've always found it. As I think I've mentioned before, i was a bit of a sensitive child for such things. So um, seeing that moment, it was a bit, oh, is this a bit too scary for me? Oh, don't know. But it, it had that thing that I've heard people say about with Doctor Who, and I never quite had it with Doctor Who outside of the early Pertwee stuff. But it was that thing of, this is scary, this is unsettling, but it's just scary enough that I am... A genuinely scared, but be not too scared that I don't want to watch this. Anything with eyes, I think I've said before, is, is always uh, unsettling for me. So to see the Nordstrom's eye suddenly go all weird and, and such, it's all oh, very, very unsettling even now. And here's a good example of where I think you can see evidence of the reshoots. The actress playing the stewardess on the eagle as Koenig leaves is not the same one as who served him coffee earlier uh, whose chest he, uh, he he checked out i think you can also see on the uh, shelves there's uh, various different things so here's professor victor bergman these two clearly know each other
6: people are dying up
3: here john and it's not much fun up here at the moment the virus infection the virus infection more to be discussed there and here we go we're going to meet the previous commander of alpha it's Philip Maddock. Commander Kornik, Maddogrowski. As Commander Anton Gorski
0: I think we both know the situation. Hmm. I imagine you'd want to be left alone to settle in. You have no doubt had a tedious journey.
3: Thank you. I'm not sure what accent he's going. Get over for.
0: before I leave, I shall be in my quarters.
3: Good luck. I mean, Russian is a is a difficult accent to pull off. I know from experience. But uh, yeah, Russian, Welsh. I don't know. I'm sure he'll survive.
6: Oh, I'm sure he will. oh He's always been very
5: flexible.
3: Hmm. Hmm. Oh. Commander! Benjamin. And suddenly we're introduced to a whole flurry of characters. Even the extras. How are introducing themselves. Yeah, Alexander. Yeah. People we never hear speak again are t- talking here and introducing themselves. But again, I love that with this episode, they really take the time to make Alpha feel like a real lived-in place, inhabited by real people. Those people out the front are not just extras. They are actual human beings. Just don't know. And there's so many extras in this episode all of whom are doing so much in the background.
0: There is no radiation.
3: If you're like me and and you're keen to watch what extras are doing in the background, this is a good episode to do that on. And you've even got things like... There's a woman on monitors in main mission. I think her name's Normal West, who's, I guess, delivering news reports or something. And the cameras are set up so that you can, from main mission, you can see what's going on in the external corridors. And on the composts, the clocks are moving in real time. It's so much attention to detail, probably one of the reasons why this episode overran by about a month, and they had to do so many reshoots, but uh, I, I don't think they could have sustained that level of production for the course of the series, but it's definitely lovely to see in this episode, just so much attention to detail. And here we go, introduction of Dr. Helena Russell, Yes. Dr. Russell. and another clever shot. She answers Koenig. She sees him on her comlock, and then he walks in through the door for real. John Koenig, Commander. And this room that Helen is in, I don't oh. seem to recognize from later episodes. Is it her quarters? Not got sure. her and Madame
5: Curie, right? It's a replica, a college prize.
3: Ah. Oh. Well, let me just fiddle with this uh, valuable piece of equipment. I'm okay. sure you didn't have it set to any. Uh,
6: Metaprobe astronauts recover from this virus.
3: Ooh.
5: It's not a virus. What they have is an unusual form of brain damage. Their condition is critical.
3: And I love that Koenig comes in, sort of half believing what Simmons has told him, and then he has to go into to recover. To piece it all together. Also, an interesting piece of body language here. What
6: about the backup crew? Are they medically clear to fly this mission?
3: It's the way he suddenly folds his arms. Says, huh?
6: You don't know, do you? You don't know.
5: They were before they were affected.
6: Doctor, you've had 11 cases so far. Nine deaths. Yes, but all of those who died were workers at Nuclear Disposal Area 2
3: cheap rehirable workers yeah I gather the, um, the uh, effects of radiation sickness and such as depicted in this episode are not quite how it goes down
5: never been recorded there but what is consistent is that the probe astronauts and the backup crews have lived the same lives been through the same training program
3: lived the same lives they all come from the same town all these astronauts what
5: I am saying is that the backup crew appears to be medically fit but as a doctor because of the unknown factors, I can't guarantee that they won't be affected three days or three months out into deep space.
3: And this is something I said before, quite recently, actually, with Brian the Brain, that I love that Earth just has this long history of failed space missions. Mission, of course. Everything that this planet has ever put up into space has gone wrong, basically. With the exception so far of the Moon. But here we go. This is, again, going back to what I said about the, the scariness, the creepiness, but also... This shows pessimism for humanity's place in the universe. And it's a beautifully chilling scene as we we see Koenig looking at Warren and Sparkman in the the isolation bay, this eerie blue light. And then we get this horrible, utterly horrible close-up on Sparkman's blind, scarred, diseased face. This guy... I'm not going to lie, I've seen him in my nightmares once or twice. And what makes it worse is there's some really horrible behind the scenes pictures of this actor playing Sparkman. Smiling. And it's just so chilling to see these photos of him smiling, it's like I'm halfway between life and death, I have visited hell, and I would like to take you there. He's just, oh he's so creepy. Which is weird, because I've recently become aware that he was in several uh, Doctor Whos, including, ironically, the Moon Base, where he plays a Moonbase operative who does not contract a fatal virus that's sweeping the base. And uh, he seems like quite a, a cheerful chap. Um, a very pleasant fellow. And speaking of cheerful chaps, pleasant fellows... Yeah, we can start the countdown as soon as you give the word. It's Alan Carter! Alan, the man, the legend, Carter.
6: How long to get the backup crew ready? Oh, seven days? Seven days. Backup crew? What do you mean?
3: And now he's about to completely change his mind.
0: Oh,
6: we can't do it. Can't do it. Calculations, coordinates.
3: Other words beginning with C. What are you
6: telling me about, Captain? I'm here to get the Metaprobe launched. All I want to know is crew accepted. You're ready to go. Yeah, we're ready to go.
3: We don't have anyone to fly it apparently, but yeah, we're ready to go. And I also love, I, I noticed this on uh, a Force of Life not too long ago. Um, I love that there's a stand of rocks in Koenig's office, and then later in Force of Life it was moved out into the corridor. That's great fun every time the base gets rocked by an explosion. But of course, these days, well, so far at this point in the series, there are no explosions. Everything's fine.
0: Well, how are you? I just wanted your first impressions of the situation.
3: And here's a, another point, as I, I said earlier about the clocks.
6: At the nuclear disposal,
3: You can see the clock there is set to 226.
6: The kind of brain damage.
0: We're
3: going to see how how that goes throughout the course of this scene.
6: Yes, yes,
0: I've heard all about it. 227. Theory from Gorsky. No, she's a very competent doctor, John, in certain fields of space medicine, but she's wrong about this situation. Dead wrong.
3: And this sounds familiar, doesn't it? Politicians who know better than the experts uh, about medical problems and such.
6: Before we do anything, I'd like to make sure there's no radiation leak at that disposal area. Look here, those
0: two meta-probe astronauts didn't go anywhere near that area. Simmons. Mm. Nine
3: Eric Sparkman just took an unscheduled trip through the underworld yeah. via um, Pinhead That's and other scary hellish things. Like My God, he's so freaky, that Sparkman, I can't get over it.
6: was one of the biggest problems of our time. Simmons, you assign me up here to clear up. And
3: again with the political stuff, we also have this uh, ecological um, subtext to this as well. It's now two twenty eight. You see what I mean about how rewarding this episode is if you're really keeping track of the the details of this world.
6: Probe launched.
3: Deal? This is a very nice looking shot of Koenig sort of temporary... telling Simmons off. That's the best I can do. But I can't quite picture what Simmons is seeing from his end. He must only sort of get Simmons. Koenig's chin in shot. Why did you lie to me?
0: You mean those men are no better? They're not gonna get any better and you know it. Alright, just a minute, John.
3: And more financial intrigue. The international and the idea that, you know, these men's lives are secondary to this probe and getting the money to to get it out there. One hint
0: of failure leaks out. They'll immediately abandon their support for our whole project. So just remember that.
3: Olay! <laughs> I'm sorry. That That is the gesture that Simmons makes when he's reaching up to turn off his screen, but it just looks like he's... He he raises his finger with such a flourish. It does look like he's saying "ole." Oh, the, the clock is you know—stand down, my uh, my time thing. The clock has gone completely screwy. I
6: need two volunteers.
3: I can't see what the hour is, but we're now at fifty-three. So let's go out to uh, check those uh, nuclear silos again. And one thing I love about this episode as well is the soundtrack, which does so much to to reinforce this very. Doom-laden, heavy atmosphere. And in some bits, it's not even music. Uh, there's bits, of the, particularly the nuclear waste areas. You heard it at the start of the episode. Just this rumbling. And that's all it is. It's not music. It's just this... In the background.
0: Navigation beacon delta. It's a landmark.
3: So unsettling. It's so just... It, 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 it's very subtly... Unsettling. It, it sort of gets into your skin and sort of you know plays on your nerves a bit.
6: There's no radiation, John. I've checked it out. Counts normal. That was the first nuclear waste area up here. Has it been used since I left? No, they've moved on to area two. This one hasn't been used for five years. How's it holding up? All right. According to reports,
0: it's
3: constantly monitored. Hmm. So plot point here, major plot point. Nuclear waste disposal area one.
6: Let's move on to area two. Yes, sir.
3: And up front, in the pilot seat, poor old Pilot Collins, he's uh, got a bit of a facial twitch. Something wrong with his eye? Eh, I'm sure it's nothing. And I always find it odd watching this episode uncut, because the BBC, they sort of trimmed, they cut out the advert breaks on a lot of the episodes of Space 1999 that they showed, kind of just sort of smoothed over them, and uh, yeah, that shot was always cut. It went straight from... Collins having a problem with his eye to basically this shot and again it's such a weird shot because we're not seeing just the eagle land on the pad we're seeing it through a window of somewhere else in this um monitoring station
6: okay let's go
3: let's go and in a, a nod i well i don't know if it's a deliberate nod to ufo or not i have to well part of me wants to believe it is intentional Part of me can't quite believe it, that we have uh, two guys working out in the um, the nuclear waste dumps at the moment, named Ellis and Jackson. Is that a deliberate homage to UFO? I, I would love to believe that it is, but I can't quite. No leakage.
0: We're going on to .48.
3: And that is not the voice of the actor playing that uh, character, by the way. That's, uh, that's actor Nick Zaran, who uh, you'll recognize from various ITC things.
0: Hmm, so far.
3: And this is creepy. It's it's not even just the music; it's the sound, the sound of that fabric on Colin's glove, crumpling as he, almost, uh, he's unaware of what he's doing, raising his hand to his eye to, uh, to to rub it. He's still having problems with that eye. Yeah, Ellis and Jackson. I I can't quite believe that they would do that deliberately. But it's a very nice, probably unintentional nod to the past. Of course, uh, you know if there was uh, any chance of people's brains melting in uh, the world of UFO, I'm sure Jackson would be very interested 48, check complete. to analyse that. Normal, no leakage. That's it, sir. All okay out here. And another unfortunate. Uh, Helmet goof coming up.
6: Now get out of there as fast as you
3: can. We had a visor flopping open earlier, and now we have uh, someone's helmet basically flying off their shoulders as they leap into the moon buggy. That seems to prove the radiation count as well. I don't know why this wouldn't have been reshot, but um, I guess they had so much to reshoot, they just thought, well, if we've got one scene done perfectly, let's move on. We've got 28 others to reshoot in a week. The nine men was not
6: radiation. Anyway,
3: we've now established no radiation. Nuclear waste disposal area two.
6: Commander, I've got to get out
3: of here. Is it time to go home? No. And again. Oh. Commander. I'm getting out of here. It's the idea of I think I've said before, there was a video on the uh, Jerry Anson YouTube channel that I'm not sure is there anymore.
6: Yeah, come us, come
3: us that I did. Um about the scariest moments from Space 1999. I think I ranked the this Metaprobe virus stuff as number two. Because it's not just the eyes. And it's not just Sparkman, generally. But it's the idea of sudden, <coughs> unexpected and uncontrollable madness from someone you know. Just someone you know suddenly completely going insane. And I, I just find it so... It is unsettling. Sorry, it is. I, I, I don't mean to sound like a wuss, I know I am a wuss, but if anyone else finds this whole virus thing unsettling and scary, or did at the time, I should say, please let me know. I, I hope I'm not the only one. But there we go. We had our, our first, uh, Well... Oh, close call with death for Koenig and uh, Bergman there as they only just managed to get, uh... What's his name? Collins, out of the uh, monitoring room before the window that he uh, tried to break down actually exploded and uh, sucked out all the air. Although, knowing what happened to uh, Sparkman and Warren, he probably would have been better off just left in there and had a quick death. Because right now his brain is probably liquefying in his skull. Oh dear. Poor old Collins. And another nice nice touch here. Russell. Where Koenig calls for
6: Commander,
0: Dr.
3: Mathias. Dr. Russell. The latest... And there isn't an instant reply. You have to have... Frank Warren
0: died at 1328.
3: The person that he wants to talk to walk into frame, as they would do in real life. Several examples of that again in this episode. Now. And let's check in on... Man. Oh, hell zombie of my nightmares. My God. Sparkman. Go away, you weird freaky man. And it is—it does um, lend something to the tragedy of this uh, situation.
5: By that last report, stage five mutation complete.
3: Because I do love that with this show. I think I meant to say this earlier and didn't regarding um, this show's view of, of humanity and, and and its place in the universe. Warren and Sparkman were meant to be
5: astronaut Eric Sparkman deceased.
3: You know these these great space explorers, these pioneers on this big adventure into the unknown to discover this new planet, and ultimately they just end up um, mindless zombie-like vegetables, uh, not really able to do anything or go anywhere except, well, die as Helena finally turns off Sparkman's life support and uh, puts him out of his misery. Odd that she doesn't feel she needs to check with the family, though. But uh, hey ho, I guess she's been authorised to do it.
6: They died of what? I mean, I was told you were told lies. They died of an illness no one can understand.
3: I also like the sort of implication here that Carter is not was a temporary as much of a part of the command structure of Alpha as he later would be.
6: Forget the probe, Carter.
3: This seems almost like he's been called up just to supervise the meta probe, and that's all. Uh, he's very much out of the loop. Which I like, but I also like that he's, you know, very quickly established as, you know, he's not just, he's not Captain Carter, head of the Metaprobe. He's Alan Carter, blooming great hero guy. Make
0: a man landing on Meta.
3: And this is Koenig's Quarters, again with lots of rocks and shells and things all over the place.
5: I can't guarantee that they won't be affected three days.
3: Did he bring those up with him? He didn't seem to have much baggage.
0: Now your job is to put man on Meta. The giant leap for mankind.
6: Beginning to look like a stumble in the dark.
3: That's a lovely line. So many lovely little bits of dialogue in this episode. Eagle flown by Eric and Frank on their last training. And we should probably talk about this guy, actually. This is um, Benjamin Uma, played by Lon Saturn. Just like that. Who only appears in this first episode, and then for the subsequent 23 episodes of the first series, was uh, his his job was filled by uh, actor Clifton Jones as David Carnot Waste disposal on area one. And I gather that um, Lon Satin was let go because he, he was uh, a bit problematic to work with. Don't know the extent of that.
6: Ten on area one, please, and bring it in. Yes, Paul.
3: Again, Sandra doesn't seem to be a part of the, uh, the main mission crew at this point, either. She, she seems to be kept in a room <laughs> off to the side of, of, of main mission, which is strange. It's a turning point, right? It's one of the few constructions on the dark side. And that was uh, also one of the early titles for what eventually became Breakaway.
6: Training flights over on the dark side away from Alpha traffic.
3: Yeah, I don't know how how many people feel about the idea of Uma having carried on with the series. I think I, I much prefer Carno. Out on their last training flight. kano even though he's not the show's greatest character, there is more warmth and humanity there than you have with Uma.
5: Levels in disposal area one, this is impossible
3: he's quite a sort of fussy almost stuffy character at times
5: Normal, but, the heat but
3: when he's needed for like action and and sort of heroic stuff he can do it he, he rarely got to do it so yeah i think on the whole i i much preferred kano to uma but you know maybe had lon satin uh not got himself into trouble and uh, and stuck around i might be saying hey really like that uma guy it's hard to tell from just one episode heat,
5: but still no radiation
3: Heat without atomic activity. Oh, but now Nuclear Waste Disposal Area 1 is, uh, well, it's glowing. And there's bits of electricity shooting out all over the place. But there are certain episodes in the Anderson universe where I would have loved to have the experience of seeing it as it was first broadcast. Just, this must have been unlike anything else ever seen on television up to that point. An eagle on the pad for a media lift. With the exception of other Anderson shows. But I think one of the strengths of a lot of the Anderson shows, I mean, particularly Thunderbirds, is that these feel like movies produced for television. Watching Area 1. That aren't aware they are not going to be shown on huge cinema screens. Because the money is there, the the visual, glossy look is there. So, I, I just... This is definitely a very cinematic, epic, just in terms of the visuals, episode. Yeah... But then I can say that about all sorts of things, really. I I went to the cinema a few weeks ago to watch um, The Wrath of Khan, and I I, I can never watch that film the way that people did when it was first shown. They didn't know that Spock would be coming back. I've had that knowledge for as long as I've been a Star Trek fan. So it's just, you know, you... It feels expanding. We can't measure it. Get him away. You make the best of the time you were born in. You appreciate what you have, and uh, I'm very lucky now that I live in an age where I've got basically everything every Anderson stuff all of the Anderson stuffs in lovely HD for the most part and here we go our
6: first Eagle Crash Rescue ship moving.
3: more evidence of uh, possible reshoots here because if you notice Koenig's uh, the, the uh, neck part on his spacesuit it sort of changes between it's flat in one shot and then it's ribbed in another and as Eagle crashes go although this is the first one in the series so it's a bit of a landmark it's fairly uh, underwhelming, this one. But again, I suppose that's just because I'm comparing it with all those other wonderful Eagle crashes that I saw throughout the rest of the series. This one's a bit, a bit lower key. But there we go. Oh, nuclear waste, Area 1. It's a fairly, uh, fairly major fireball. It's more implied, though, that the whole area has gone up. It's not quite the massive explosion that we'll see later on with Area Two, but it's still some very nice visuals and and effect stuff there, and an unusual shot of the base too. Uh, we I don't think we see that again because obviously it's got the moon in the background.
6: Well, I told you there was nothing wrong with me. I walked away from there. There's no damage,
5: Commander.
3: Oh, it's ten past four according to the clock now.
5: That is not the kind of damage I'm looking for.
3: And this is a nice uh, setup for the uh, the the.
5: You knew that it all... Well,
3: lays the groundwork for the relationship between our, our two main characters to follow.
5: And yet you went right out there yourself.
3: Very soft focus on Bane here, though. We're looking for answers, Commander. Not heroes. Ooh, nice line. I didn't know you cared. <gasps> point? Yes, I think he, uh, he scored the point there. And again, another soft focus shot of Bane looking a bit confused. Look at this. It's a monitoring device from the old... I don't know what room this is. Is this... The, well, it's obviously a room over the Eagle Hangar, but I don't think we ever see anyone in here again. And yet there are so many people milling around.
0: Record for five years, but now look at it.
3: Various extras that we do see again throughout the, the show's run. but there's a a technical guy named Young. I don't recall seeing him again, except in uh, stock footage from Force of Life, he makes a return there.
0: This instrument's given me a lead. I think we're facing a new effect arising from the atomic
5: waste
6: deposited here over the years.
3: So, they've recovered this from Area 1.
5: Precedented
6: violence. Magnetic energy responsible for the flare-up at Area 1.
5: Magnetic energy causing brain damage?
3: Yeah, let's go with it. Again, I don't know how the science of this is in any way accurate. I suspect it is largely inaccurate. But it's, um... Prove astronauts flew over there daily. It seems to work for this show. As did Collins and the shuttle.
5: And we've all been exposed to it. We've all been to Area 2, and to get there, we turn over Area 1.
3: And that's a, a subtle bit of horror that never really comes into play afterwards. There's an
0: even bigger problem I see looming up.
5: Area
3: 1... We've all potentially got our brains waiting to melt in our skulls.
0: What worries me now is that the same thing could happen in Area
6: 2.
3: Or another firestorm. Time
6: do we have? We need solid data on magnetic... I hope it has a good theme tune.
5: I won't be responsible for any more men out on the surface in these conditions.
6: Neither will I.
3: So let's ask for more volunteers, and not tell them.
6: Under magnetic levels. And do it by remote control
3: oh yeah we've got more eagles to send in again I, th- I think this is a more effective eagle crash which is ironic considering there's no one at the controls but it's yeah something interesting and uh not something the show did all that often send in an unmanned eagle operated by remote they would have saved so many pilots if they had done this more often also a bit of a touch of uh, an eagle under the control of the Mistrons there seeing the the controls move by themselves and a lovely touch. Again, that, Paul. you'd expect it to be there. I think it's just familiarity with the remainder of the series that it looks so odd to see the Earth outside the windows in main mission.
6: Field zero. Okay, Paul, down.
3: And, you know, you may argue that uh, this episode doesn't do a huge job in establishing many of the characters outside of the Central Three and, to a certain extent, uh, Alan Carter as well. But there's so much going on here that I think you you can sort of, for this episode at least just say, we'll get to all that later. Um, but of course famously, the, the first cut of this episode was like two and a half hours long and they had to do various rewrites and reshoots and I would have to assume a lot of character stuff ended up on the cutting room floor, particularly I know there was more stuff with uh, Gorski um, there was another meeting between him and Koenig where he did take him up on that offer, if, if you want to talk things over before I leave. Um, and a bit of a hint that he was uh, interested in, in Helena as well. A surge. A magnetic surge. So, Area 2 is going the same way as Area 1. But with a lot more stuff in there.
6: Contact Commissioner Simmons immediately. It
3: could be a bigger bang. That's
6: emergency code Alpha 1. <gasps> yes, sir.
3: Oh, emergency code Alpha 1, serious stuff.
6: You're right, Doctor. It was radiation. Magnetic radiation. Now we're sitting on the biggest bomb man's ever made.
3: Oh, dear. And I feel for Koenig here as well. I mean, I kind of feel for him throughout throughout the whole series, really. This is a guy who was sent up, essentially, to take take charge of a rubbish dump, who ultimately ends up being responsible for what could be the last of humanity. But it's just... He's inherited a a situation, a problem here, which is a long-term problem for which there is basically no solution. Whatever, you know... Throughout their best efforts in this episode, there is nothing they can do to stop the inevitable, and I find that a very understated element of this story and quite fascinating. But here we go. The passing of emergency code Alpha One has brought Commissioner Simmons to Alpha in uniform. Commissioner, give him a comlock. I'm sure he won't do any naughty things with that.
0: My office tried to query you about your emergency code Alpha One. You
3: didn't seem to be available. I am now. That's a nice, that's a very nice shot of the uh, eagle wreck in uh, Area 2 there as well. Now it contains 140
0: times the amount of waste in Area 1. With quantities like that, there could be a chain reaction. What are the chances it could burn itself out, like Area 1? Simmons.
3: I also like that Victor is trying to explain it to, to Simmons in nice reasonable terms. And Simmons is like, well, will the easy option happen again? Go on. Well, try and break the pile apart, rip up the
0: rods, destroy the mass. If we could disperse the mass over a wider area, we... all right. Come on, let's do it. We do have limited time.
3: There's that noise. There's that unsettling, oh. It's not music, it's just atmosphere and dread. Wonderful stuff. And of course, here we get our first flurry of eagles. Um, a lot of them using those winch pods. All manned by very expendable extras. I do love the the look of these these winch eagles, though. And it it demonstrates as well, quite effectively, the, the versatility of the eagle as a spacecraft and the idea of the interchangeable pods, essentially. Just lovely stuff.
6: They're moving into the area now. All right, Paul, I'll be right with you.
3: So it seems to be 8.42 on the clock now. Another gorgeous shot as Koenig opens the doors onto main mission. It's just, wow! Here's a room that, you know, we could hold a a football match in <laughs> it's just brilliant. Um have we got enough space here? Oh dear, so many extras as well milling around doing various things and some gorgeous shots of eagles pulling away the uh, the protective covers over the nuclear waste silos. And a lot of again going back to the real worldness of this and the the atmosphere, stuff you're not even you're you're not even consciously aware of but a lot of background chatter specifically relating to what is going on here. Four, Eagle one, I'm getting a bit of
6: on the navigation system. We'll it out
3: from here. Yeah, there's a lot of that in this scene. It's very nice.
6: Number 26, disperse to grid C9. And this is fun. Okay, disperse to grid C9.
3: The two pilots, they look at each other as if to say, oh, C9, oh. You really want to go there? I don't want to go there. No, no. T- pretend we didn't hear him. I don't know what's going on. What's wrong with grid C9? I, I would say a, just a minor point against this though we don't really get a sense of scale regarding the size of nuclear area 2 it seems to me like nuclear area 1 was much larger but we're told that it has 140 times more nuclear waste in there so then it must have been more efficiently uh, stored uh, at a greater depth I suppose that uh, creates the problem
6: I think we should
0: go up another 100,
3: Commander. Oh, you do, do you? Well, who are you, unnamed man over the radio? You don't tell me what to do. Ah, maybe if maybe if Koenig had listened to that man... Go ahead, one. Things might have turned out very differently. I don't think so. Good it
6: programmed. I will be in orbit in four minutes.
3: Yes. Uh, th- interesting as well, Koenig sends Alan up into orbit just to keep an eye on, thing, on how things look. I would imagine when you're that high, you can't really see what's going on over Nuclear Waste Area 2, unless something goes catastrophically wrong, in which case, you'd know about it anyway. You think
0: we have it under control, John? Too early to
3: tell. I do like Simmons uh, very prematurely declaring victory here. Well done. No. And the venom and the anger that Koenig retorts to that with.
6: You see, John, I see men risking their lives to avert disaster, total
3: disaster. If
6: this goes wrong, there won't be anybody to issue a communique. There will be no
3: survivors. It would almost be interesting to see how their relationship would have continued from that point had this operation been a success, which of course it wasn't. You can hear in the background that it wasn't. But I would imagine Simmons wouldn't have let Koenig stay in command for very long with that attitude.
6: the mission. Main mission to all eagles. Return to base immediately.
3: And we're just coming up on basically special effects porn at this point. Just explosions everywhere, and okay, you can see one or two wires, one or two little moments, but it's just... they sell this so effectively, the idea of just everything blowing up. Even things that don't seem to have any relation to nuclear waste disposal area too, and then finally the whole whole sorry silo goes up. I hope they got Michael Sheard out of there before that happened. And just iconic shot after iconic shot, particularly that explosion over the moon. And again, all these extras throwing themselves around the place. I also get the feeling there was this was a scene where there's so much more shot than we actually see. Uh, I, I gather there, there was, uh, in fact, um, the guy who played Steiner. I think he did a, a stunt fall off the top of the main mission balcony. And also, there's another stuntman who's been hanging around the place all episode. He's the one who who falls back against the staircase to the upper level. I think there was some kind of shot of him being actually thrown across the room. we're moving! We? And a beautiful close-up on the space dock as it spins out of orbit. This is such a beautiful model. And I'm so glad they saved it and, and reused it later in Dragon's Domain. That, but that close-up of it spinning is just gorgeous. It's a lovely model. There goes the probe. There goes an eagle. And there goes the space station. And again, I'm not sure about the science of what would happen to Carter's eagle while he's in orbit and the moon is going out of of orbit, of the Earth. But what I love here is that- Out of the Earth's orbit. And it, I think it's maybe mentioned in a novelization or something that Carter, at this point, has the opportunity to go back to Earth. He's the only one who has the choice. Are you okay? And um, he chooses he chooses Alpha. It's not overtly stated on screen, but uh, it's a very nice aspect of the character. And we're coming up on something here that I, I find really interesting to watch this in HD. Because you know, everyone's pinned on the floor of main mission at this point. And uh, you know, the pressure is, is so great that only one man can drag himself to the radio. And that's Commander Koenig, of course. To down there. And you can see as he drags himself up the side of desk to reach the radio at the top of the desk. You can see on Blu-ray, Martin Landau's fingerprints on the edge of the desk from what must be a previous take. It's <laughs> I, I don't know how visible it is on, on DVD, it might be very visible, but just, I love, it, it's a nice little glimpse into the fact that they probably had to do this several times.
0: We are moving away from Earth!
3: It's a very undignified scene for everybody on the floor, sort of heaving and, and groaning. Carter, can you hear me? And of course Koenig was the only one who could get to a radio.
6: You're okay, what's happening down there? Got tremendous G forces.
3: We can hardly move. Doesn't really sound like Landau's voice at that point, though. But we seem to be decelerating. Hey, we're slowing down because science. I think science has gone out the window at this point. Obviously, it's one of the uh, the main sticks that people like to uh, to use to hit this series with. <laughs> Unfortunately, because they don't, they're not aware that uh, you know mysterious unknown force and all that. And again, again, I know I've gone on about it, but the world they've created in this episode I mentioned earlier the the lady on the screen in main mission who's delivering some kind of news reports. She's obviously been knocked around and she's still on camera. All of the extras are just utterly done in. Even the camera that I mentioned looking onto the corridor outside main mission is now at a wonky angle.
6: Can you make it back to the base?
3: I can make it. I'm a big damn hero and you're gonna need me. This is main
6: mission. All sections report.
3: Yeah, you can see that. Oh, yes. Uh, that This shot here where uh, Helena starts tending to the wounded, you can see Steiner on the floor from where he had his fall that he didn't have.
0: Sufficiently operational to accept casualties. And
3: also that guy who I said got pulled into the uh, the staircase. You can just see in one shot what must be some kind of rig or whatever he was used to to, or tied to to pull him back into the stairs it's a sort of wood thing with some rope on it but this is a very haunting image just the moon drifting off into infinity and everybody just looking a bit shell shocked I don't um this is the point where I would say you know maybe maybe one or two people should be a bit um well tearful
6: can we make it back to earth
3: I also I can't watch that moment without thinking of the IGN edition I don't know if you're familiar with that trailer Um, someone cut together a a DVD release trailer for a DVD release that would never happen and it got increasingly jokey as it went along and it said there was an alternate ending to Breakaway where Paul says can we make it back to Earth and they just cut in Koenig saying yes and then (laughs) played happy music and that was it but um, oh dear
5: moon on unknown trajectory
3: it's just bad news after bad news
5: here.
3: And it would have been interesting if... And I know Koenig makes the call in a moment that they're not going to try to escape and and head back to Earth. But it might have been interesting, a sort of parallel universe type story, just to see how that operation might have gone down.
5: Human decision required.
3: Oh, dear. It all falls on the shoulders of one man. And... um. Yeah, speaking of a continuation of this episode, because this episode does set up certain things I never called back to, specifically meta. Um, but there is somewhere out there online, and I don't often recommend fan fiction, but this is quite a fun one. There's Breakaway Part 2. I don't know where you'd find it, I don't know who wrote it, but it was essentially a Part 2 to this episode that dealt with the immediate fallout from what's happened here, what happened to Uma, why they didn't end up going to meta. And uh, Simmons attempting to lead a mutiny to take them back to Earth. And it's all very believable stuff. If you can find it, it's well worth a read. And Carter's back. Quick thumbs up with Bergman. Yeah, we're all all right.
6: Attention all sections alpha.
3: And you really do feel the weight on, on Koenig's shoulders as this speech is made.
6: As you know, our moon has been blasted out of orbit.
3: Oh, really? I didn't know. There's probably someone in bed, actually, somewhere on the base, thinking, Go, what, what the hell's happened?
6: If we should try to improvise a return to Earth without full resources...
3: I think they seem to have given up on the clocks at this point it's 2023 and it seems to have been that way for quite a while
6: therefore in my judgment we do not try
3: oh yeah landau does a very good job here selling the the weight and gravity of of this moment other people in main mission are sort of more resigned to the idea sort of oh well that sucks but I, I just think if this was done now, you would get certain people seen accident just weeping hysterically and uncontrollably. Has caused very serious repercussions. Everyone's a bit too willing to go along with with what Koenig says. I think.
6: The in the United States along the San but
3: This is a nice a nice touch. though, our last glimpse of of life on Earth, and it does not sound pretty to life. And property. It was interesting, actually, getting the uh, Spazio 1999 uh, Blu-ray from Network recently and watching the Italian translation of, or the English translation of the Italian, I should say, and they make Life on Earth sound even worse than it does here. Like, Los Angeles is being rained on by millions of dead fish and that kind of thing. It's just
0: it thought a rescue might have been a
3: t- horrific.
0: ...space dock until that, too, was hurled out of orbit.
3: Hmm. And then went kablooey.
0: The moon's acceleration away from Earth has put it beyond
6: the reach of
3: any ah, That's it. All gone and everyone looks at Koenig. All frequencies for any signal from Earth, anything. What are you gonna do now, hero? And I also find it interesting that we have a planet named Meta. Because I, I think in the 21st century that word has sort of taken on a slightly different meaning in terms of fiction and, and shows and things, saying, oh, yeah, that, that's a very sort of meta take on this concept. You know, it's come to sort of mean self-aware almost, I think. So when they get the signal here, that meta signal, and then Bergman confirms. Oh, it's meta. It just sounds so sort of almost like the show is commenting on itself somehow. But again, it only sounds like that for uh, us in the 21st century. And, of course, you know... I certainly believe that that is not related to Meta at all. That is, of course, Sandra in the future, sending her message back to the past. That's a lovely, lovely uh, end-to-the-show message from Moonbase Alpha. And uh, it's great that it ties so heavily into the events of the first story, because ultimately we never went anywhere near Meta. Quite strange that they would end the episode with such a strong hint that they would be.
6: September 13, 1999. Meta-signal's increasing.
3: Yes. Maybe there. But maybe not. And there we go, that was Breakaway, the first episode of Space 1999, and oh my goodness, that is just one of the absolute highlights, not only of the show, but of the whole Anderson canon, just, the, the story concept itself is wonderful, so the fact that it's realised in such a, a realistic and doom-laden way, ultimately leading up to this wonderful special effects extravaganza at the end, it's a brilliant setup to my absolute all-time favourite Anderson series. I can never get enough of seeing this episode. Happy Breakaway Day, everybody, for October.
0: Ah! ah there ooh,
3: you go. Now we're talking.
2: Breakaway, yes, yeah, yeah. Now we're talking.
1: Bit of a classic. I can't,
2: I can't tell you how long I've waited for that episode to come on the randomizer. Well,
1: I can actually yep. 227 <laughs> podcasts <laughs> uh,
5: how
2: there annoying
1: that this is the one situation where you can't actually use that phrase yeah, I can't I tell know. you how long I've <laughs> yeah. oh, oh I actually oh, can. I can almost, yes, can. almost <laughs> to the minute in fact you've been yeah. waiting 14.25 days uh, <laughs> that's of right. content which, is, yeah. which isn't very long actually is
2: it no no, no. But you've,
1: you've waited in between all Do the you know, episodes I've
2: waited just over a fortnight <laughs> for that to
1: come up on the <laughs> 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 only in podcast time anyway that's right rather nice to have a 1999 there. Whoa. And do you think that's a sort of, um, I was going to say premonition again. I keep saying that word. I don't mean that. Yes, go on. Uh, but it, it sort of leads us nicely into scary things that might be coming up in our future. Ooh. Does it? Yes, because it's Halloween next week, isn't it? Halloween.
2: <laughs> that's, a, that's a rather tenuous link. <sighs> well, you know
1: sometimes a tenuous link is all we've got, so I'm <laughs> that's true, yeah. I'm sticking oh, okay. with
2: it. Okay, I'll go with it. Yeah, fine, yeah. Go on. Yeah. Good. Okay, so well that's, yeah. that's that's time, Halloween isn't next it? Week, yeah. Yes,
1: okay. Uh, well thank you, Chris. He'll be back at the randomizer next week and we'll be back with more Jerry Anson podcast yes, next week now, because that is what we do. Is it? what what? It, what? It, yes. What's the problem? Well, here's what, the thing if it's
2: Halloween next week, I yes. challenge our wonderful podstroms. Yes. If you got hold of a Zelda mask in the last few months, put it on, take a picture, post it on Twitter and hashtag us, put it in the Facebook group. I want to see you in your Zelda mask for Halloween.
1: (laughs) 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 Nice nice yeah. i mean it's Let's perfect it. content for audio um halloween dress up isn't it so <laughs> well i mean yeah but i'm just trying to sort of you know encourage a sense of community oh yeah yeah, yeah. No, no that's very good right it's very good yes yeah, nice. yeah. Right. anyway please do that uh if you're not if you're not on the facebook <laughs> group you'd like to email us a picture of you in your halloween get up uh, hopefully make it andersony email it to podcast at jerryanderson.com or tweet us use the hashtag yeah. Jerryandersonpodcast. podcast tweet him richard N. james him over there chris yeah. Dalek, or me yeah. i'm jamie anderson Oh yeah, You're funny when yeah. I do that. Yeah, it I mean is, not yeah. funny, hard. Nice it's like- funny, peculiar.
2: No, I'm beginning to
1: like it. Mm, um, I'm still on the fence. Oh, okay. Anyway, let's uh, wrap this thing up. We'll be back with Pod Two Two Nine next week for a spooky edition of the Jerry Anderson Podcast. It probably won't be spooky at all. Don't no, don't, don't even bother oh. with that. It's,
2: oh, yeah. it won't be spooky. It'll no, just okay.
1: be probably a bit normal one. But yeah, you know. all right. We'll just mention that it's Halloween. Exactly. That's that's I the see. secret. Done. I Agreed. See. Right. See you next week for the Halloween edition all right see you then bye
5: stage one complete let's go It's
1: a bit breezy in there, is it? Is that wind?
2: I just, I was just, yeah, I think I... Oh, hang on. There you go. I've just shut the door now. That's better. How's
1: that? (laughs) I wonder what that creak was. Yeah. It's been a long day. A bit stiff, are you? You thought it was my back, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. Mm. Well, that wasn't me commenting on you being elderly, I promise.
2: No, how dare you? you? Are you doing anything for Halloween? I mean, we don't really take it that seriously.
1: Well, I've never taken it seriously. I have got a party invite... Which is very unusual oh. for me. I don't normally get invited to anything, really. No. Um, so, <laughs> Not but it, since the last time.
2: <laughs> You're one of those people that often get invi- invited to parties, but only once.
1: Yes. Uh, anyway, that's that. Uh, no, so I, I, it might be a good opportunity for me to wear my Zelda mask, you see, but then yes. I'll have to find a, an appropriate dress to go with it. Yeah, right. Yes, you know, okay. a sort of kind of weird, peri Victorian nighty. Yes. Uh, that Are you sure you on? haven't got
2: one of those tucked away
1: somewhere? <laughs> I'll go and have a look. I mean, um,
2: I'm currently rehearsing a Victorian murder mystery. I'm sure I could dig out something from the, uh, you know, the wardrobe store.
1: If you, you wouldn't it. mind, I'll swing go. by Marlebone and Yay! grab one uh, on my us. way to said party. Brilliant.
2: Okay, yeah, I'll do that for you.
1: Fantastic. Right. I'll be the one in the Zelda mask. Okay. All right. spook to you later then. Oh, nice. <laughs> bye. <laughs> oh, bye. You have been listening
0: to the Jerry Anderson podcast. Wasn't it fun? <laughs> You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment Production.